Okay, so uh, welcome to uh, Eden Smith's Behind the Data podcast. Um, this will be the very, very first podcast of season one. And the topic uh, which we'll be covering in this season will be about building sustainable data teams. Uh, my name is Jez Clark. I'm one of the co-founders uh, of Eden Smith Group. We specialise in data analytics staffing and consulting. Um, and throughout this season, I'll be inviting various data leaders uh, who have built teams in the past. I'd like them to share their experiences and hopefully uh, you'll learn a thing or two um, and we can share what we learn to, to, to be better at our jobs moving forward. So um, for this particular podcast, um, I'm very, very happy uh, to be introducing Nicholas Deveni, who is the global head of uh, consulting for Eden Smith Group. Um, welcome, Nick. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Jez, and thanks for, for having me in this first episode. So oh, you're very to welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you're very welcome. Obviously, we've known each other for a very long time. Um, but actually, what I find really interesting about this and with you kicking this off is that uh, I've personally watched your journey um, within the data space. And Obviously, I have a number of questions. Um, I think you've been on a, a very, very big learning curve, an interesting one, and you've obviously been part of the group. Uh, you've watched our business grow, and you've also grown your own consulting business within the group and delivered multiple projects and obviously built your own team. Um, so I think there's a lot of people uh, out there that will be able to learn something from you, especially being um, you know, a bright young individual that you are. And so, so, so tell us, Nick, um, how did you initially get into the data industry? Yeah, I suppose my my background, um, even fr from uni, was always uh, uh, I took a sales route um, and was going down, you know, talking to people um, and selling products in into into various customers, both you know consumers and then B two B. Eventually, I, as many uh, people do, fell into recruitment. Um, kind of wasn't expecting it. Kind of got a got a role in recruitment where obviously I met yourself and, and Matt. Um, and, and recruitment was was an interesting one for me because it's about sales and it's about people. But realistically, in order to be you know an effective recruiter and really support and add value to the customers that you're you're working with, you have to get to understand and 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 know the technologies or the the environments and industries that you're working with right there's a reason why most of the most most of the successful recruitment businesses are niche recruitment businesses yeah mm. they, they they have an understanding of the requirements they have an understanding of what's needed in order to make success yeah uh, and i feel for me that that was something i really held on to and, and started to become very uh, actively involved in the industries i was i was working in um, back then, you know, we were looking at the IT industry, telecommunications. Um, it was quite quite data focused still back then, um, all around kind of um, RF analysis and RF planning um, and connectivity. So, the for me, I, I took a personal interest and got really invested in in how things work, um, mm. and what problems there were, and, and the kind of evolution of technology, um, yeah. and take from there. I think at the time there's there was obviously a, a a kind of a drive to to want to do things differently. Um, had an opportunity to to do that within the business was working in, um, to kind of take a different approach to the traditional ways of of, of recruitment working. Um, but uh, my first instant kind of insert into data was then uh, with you know Eden Smith 
being a data recruitment specialist, a niche specialist in that space, uh, when I joined, I was obviously then involved in a completely different industry, a new industry, one that was growing, one that was still learning. And I brought over that kind of, I suppose, thinking about how to to learn, how to understand and how to get real in-depth knowledge of the, mm. the businesses I was trying to support. Um, that actually lit a, a passion inside me that, that not other any industry had. Um, I think it was well, maybe it's because of the growth curve we were going through in the data industry at the time you know, seven years ago. It's still on that that growth curve. But I think a little passion in me that, that made me see things very differently. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd always done kind of critical thinking, logical thinking as extracurricular back in school. Um, so that kind of problem solving and logical approach to problem solving uh, yeah. was a bit of a passion to me. So, yeah, started to self-learn self do personal projects and it kind of exploded from there yeah that's really interesting I think um you and I will both agree that to be an effective recruiter in any space you do have to have a good understanding of the topic um and the functions of the people that you're that you're placing into businesses and I do uh, I can remember that pivotal moment um when you I think you came in one Monday morning um and said that you've been playing around with some SQL uh coding um and python development uh which was quite a not a shock but um it certainly i think outlined that there was a different or a more deeper interest in the data industry and how it was working would you say that that was the pivotal moment in your career where there was a step change for you to be where you are today yeah i i think you know there was a few and and you know I've, i was lucky enough to to be at some of the early stages of the the modern data kind of change and and this evolution uh, revolution um going on on big data london's kind of terminology there um i was lucky enough to be involved at a time when there was lots of uh, hype and lots of change and lots of growth in the industry um and i think that some of the lessons and some of the people that we got to interact with um through our network um you know some of the, the big leaders in in today's world uh taught me a lot about how to think differently how to, mm. to to take data concepts and apply them um and slowly and surely i, I started seeing this kind of these rules being applied to our industry to, to recruitment you know to, mm. to our business um and i started to question the way we were doing things more and more and and thought well one minute if we can understand our data we can change the ways we work so i don't think it was at that point i don't think it was i foresee or foresaw a career in data i foresaw data as a, a way to solve the business problems that we were facing yeah. and to drive value and that that self-learning and that drive then yeah, said pivotal in, in kind of having a career in data uh, but it's quite interesting because as we've kind of moved up that that ladder from you know hands-on technical to to thinking about advising and and supporting data leaders in in what to do and how they approach things one it comes down back down to culture and it comes down to people and relationships and therefore yeah. that recruitment hr piece all of the knowledge from that side comes into play yeah. Um, but secondly, we, we've come into a point where it's back to business value. You yeah. know, we've had this change of, you know, being data driven, being, you know, a data driven organization and stuff like this. But we've 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 pulled it back to business value, yeah. business value created through data products, which for me comes back down to selling a product, looking at the problem of how we solve the problem, 
but how do we use data within the business and create a culture that solves those problems so yeah i think that that data point into our business was a pivotal change for me and also uh, i think and i'll ask you another question in a second but yeah a, a pivotal moment in your career where you started to understand the value within our business which is perhaps obviously why you know you've been in a delivery role you've been in an advisory role in the last three or four years but you've also now I think where we're at now where's your head of group data solutions for Eden Smith um, now you're doing it internally for our business to make sure that we're really uh, we're working as a data-driven company as well now obviously I would imagine there have been some obstacles um, throughout that transition um certainly from becoming you know from being a recruitment company a recruitment individual in data science to where you are today um what were the biggest challenges and obstacles from a career path change did you experience i think there's a couple of a couple on the way um i, I think the first one is your the first one is, is changing your personal mindset around mm. how you look at problems how you look at uh, approach things um I, I think you know yes there's obviously a, a technical learning curve um but i think there's plenty of you know support and, and options and programs out there and, and that's something that just takes time um mm. i think one of the obstacles is finding the right time um i mean i was again you know quite i count myself quite lucky in that um eden smith seeing that change in me um kind of gave me some opportunities to explore that and mm. to, to develop that, um, you know, whether that be taking a Friday or taking some afternoons to, to work on those internal projects or my personal projects, um, it's finding the time to actually practice there. Um, I think the other obstacle comes with, uh, or the biggest obstacle then comes with experience and which you, you can so, sort of only gain, you can't only gain it over time, but because um, you gain it through doing and you gain it through it for experience in different experiences, right? You can, you can create those experiences quickly and quite effectively, right? If I, if I play one game of chess every week, um, it's not about the amount of time it takes that I've been playing chess for. I could play 30 games of chess today and gain experiences through that, that playing. So when I talk about experience, I'm not talking about time in the industry. I'm right. talking more about what you, what you see, what, what challenges and scenarios you go through yeah. and how you deal with them. Um, and I think some of that is the biggest obstacle because in the earlier career, earlier part of my career, I hadn't seen or experienced some of the challenges that people in the industry for years had. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think gaining those experiences there and having the confidence to use the network around us to know how to solve them, to then experience them yourself. Um, yeah that's that i think i think that's really really good advice and um excellent self-awareness there is of, of your transition i mean if you think about it there are a lot of people at the moment that are either already in a technical role or they're in a business focused role and they're actually trying to get into the data industry um i guess you know the listeners would like to understand what do you think are those core skills that you have as an individual the ones that maybe you didn't have when you started to transition which are most important for someone to be successful in our industry i think um the particularly in the early stages and, and i don't think something you ever lose but um the power of questioning curiosity is probably the biggest um mm. skill um now i 
I, I know, you know, in, in our kind of history and, and, and uh, development over, over the years, there's been times when I've perhaps maybe pushed those a bit too far. And, and you know, you, between us, we've got frustrated when I just get, well, why, why do we need to do that? What's it we're trying to achieve? Well, how we'll go about that, you know, um, and delving, taking that high level understanding of, of, of the objective, but being able to kind of get behind what someone's telling you or instructing you and understand what's really been trying to be achieved. Because once you understand that, you can then kind of work backwards to, OK, how are we going to do this and drive through this? Mm-hmm. So th- that curiosity behind what we're trying to do or how we're trying to achieve something or trying to go beyond the service level mm-hmm. um, in critical thinking um, it's kind of similar to uh, basically logistic f- fallacies right so someone can put a a uh, example out there or a bit of data out there or a bit of information out there um, and if you take it at service level you could make assumptions or um, kind of agree on something that actually when you look at the the result of it isn't true yeah. yeah. So a, a really common example of this is people, you know, quite easily A equals B, you know. So if A equals B, it's kind of sub, subliminally uh, implied that B equals A. But that's not the case. Right. right. If, if you say, you know, a cat is an animal, just a cat walking past the screen, a cat cat is an animal. It doesn't mean that all animals are cats. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? So I, I yeah. think it's that questioning, that critical thinking and so critical and logistical thinking, I think, are the two key skills you need to to develop and grow, particularly when you first come into the industry. Um, problem solving, that kind of those kind of soft skills. I think as you as you develop and as you grow in the industry, I think for today we need to start thinking about. Um, and I, I kind of hate the terminology, and I and I don't know how far it will come through, but I do think there is a role, a new role for a data ethicist. Um, so I, I think that we need to start thinking a lot more ethically about what we're doing, how we're using data and where we're using it for. We've talked about data governance for many years and we've talked about, you know, sharing information, the right consent and the right, you know, GDPR and all this kind of stuff. But I, I think there's a, a responsibility for data professionals to question and to guide and advise the businesses we work with on controlling managing supporting data in an ethical and sustainable way yeah which is, which is a which is a massive thing at the moment anyway as we know um uh regulation is coming around esg carbon footprint for businesses all of that sort of stuff and there's a heavy element of governance involved in it um just wanted to move on a little bit actually because um as part of your career uh you've built the consulting business up for eden smith group um and of course you know that core that core topic that we're we're getting to around building a sustainable data team. You've had to build your own team uh, within the Eden Smith Group, um, and obviously, I think there's a talent strategy uh, that you have to have in your mind before you go out to do this sort of thing. Um, what what is your approach to building a data team, and and would you say it's the best approach or would you say you would have done things differently? So how have you approached it, building the team? I don't I don't think um, would I have done things differently and is it the best approach? I don't think there's the right answer to either of those questions. I think that the the strategy you take depends on the um, 
resources, the culture, the environment, the objectives that you have in any given situation. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, there are some businesses out there, some consultancies out there that go get large investment and they can go and hire, you know, a team of data engineers, a team of data scientists, a data architects and, and fill a team of 10 to 12 people as a, as a minimum, you know, small, small numbers still, but all on, on you know, market leading salaries. Mm-hmm. Um, not every business in particularly, you know, we see this through the recruitment world, not every business is able to do that. Not, they don't have the budget, they don't have the internal capabilities, they don't have the resources, you know, they don't have the environment to support that from a data yeah. perspective. So I, I think the strategy for me is what is the right fit for the organization at this time and how do we stretch or push that boundary enough to create progress and create innovation so you know i I feel that if you're going to do that you need to look at well what internal skills do we have um what external power do we have to bring in new skills um and then how do we then balance that with investment in short-term mid-term and long-term development so mm. you know it, it's no good and we, we, we've supported many businesses in, in this pathway but you know it's no good going into a, a very traditional business that's got a you know, traditional SQL development team with SQL, traditional you know um, SSRS reporting and immediately dropping in a you know modern data lake that uses Python you know right. Python. It, it's no there's no point in doing that because you're then creating a massive skills gap between the individuals that are already there and the skills that are needed to do that. Yeah. So it has to be a, a phased kind of um, approach of, well, let's upskill the individuals that are there. They've got the business knowledge, they've got they've got the data skills, and they probably have, you know, some ex- interest or interest in you know, some uh, experience in trying out these modern tools. So there's a growth path that you need to take your existing team on you then have a investment choice of whether you bring in a consultancy to adopt and drive, you know, immediate change to get things moving and deliver value, or you use contractors over a longer period of time to fill in the skills gap that you can then learn and grow. And I think for me, the strategy of our consultancy has always been about knowledge transfer and information sharing, you know, and actually kind of combined collaboration Mm. because of that upskilling aspect. So I like that. Um, I like it a lot. And, uh, you know, if we talk about components of a talent strategy, what I'm hearing, Nick, is that you you would say internal mobility and training are probably two of the main or most important components before you go out to market to build a team. Because, like you say, there are a lot of business businesses out there not quite ready to adopt new set of skills that come in. And also, um, what is your view around uh, when, well, my view would be that internal training and internal mobility help with uh, retention and keep existing teams motivated, right? Would you agree with that? I agree with the point you said at the end, but I disagree with the fact that you should look at mobility and internal upskilling first. I, I don't think there's a logical linear approach to your talent strategy. Yeah, it, it can't be because it will never keep up and it will never um never work you'll you'll Mm -hmm. train some people and they'll have their new skills and they'll leave and go somewhere else you know you'll you'll train some people but a demand from the business comes in and they can't their training's not as doesn't kind of grow as much as you expect them to in a period or actually demand comes in the business and you haven't got the skills to deliver right so again it's very 
environmental and situational. Um, I think that your talent strategy, yes, internal mobility and upskilling is a big block that we don't spend enough time on um, yeah. in businesses. Um, when we talk about change transformation, we often think about, you know, bringing in new resources bringing in consultancies, bringing in, you know, um, change that kind of change. Um, I, I feel sometimes that that's because as humans, we don't like change, right? We're, we're very change adverse. Uh, and I feel that when you initially talk about these projects, you get a lot of um, a lot of protection. People want their job security. They mm. don't really want things to change. They don't under, sometimes understand the change and therefore there is there will always get a group of people in an organization when you try to make a, a shift like that that are you know ad- adverse against that change there will be mm. people that find it interesting and find it you know exciting and it will improve their retention from that pace perspective um but during that journey still there'd be moments of doubt moments of worry right so mm. i think that your there needs to be a, a multifaceted uh, approach to how you build your talent strategy. Mm. How do we upskill and, and train these people? Part of that upskilling could be having contractors or a consultancy in to work alongside them. We spent Trans- a lot of time knowledge. to transfer knowledge. Yeah. So we've done a lot of time where we've had, you know, we've been doing peer to peer programming like you do in, in, you know, in the software development world. Um, building out pipelines building out reports building out stuff with those we've built guidelines you know we've built um best practices and processes mm. now they're not going to work for every every company in every way but certainly you're training and transferring the knowledge of the basic concepts now they might not get to where they where they kind of where you perhaps put in the in the beginning where your objective is it might be they only make halfway and they have something between what they had before and what they've got now and and that's fine. That's acceptable. You know, I, but I do think it needs to be it's not linear. It needs to be modular. So getting all the parts of the components of the talent strategy working at the same time is much more effective than sort of going one to ten as that yeah. would, 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 would be your view. Now, when you've got a team in place and especially within a market where it's tough to hire staff, right, there's a skill shortage. We know that across multiple different parts um, of the data landscape. When you've got your team in place, what are you doing to make sure that they're continually motivated and what strategies do you employ um, to retain them? Because, you know, we don't want to go out to market to recruit new people. What we want to do is keep the people that we got to start with. Let's 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 be honest as best as we can. Uh, those that are effective and doing a good job. What, what, what do you do to do that? Yeah, look, I, I think. This is not a data specific problem. It, no. it's, a gen, it's a general HR Absolutely. workforce problem. Um, and it's been going cyclical for, for years now, right? So um, I, I think that there are many strategies out there that people look at. And, and you know, the first is actually open communication, you know, speaking to the team members, not from a, a management leadership perspective, from a colleague perspective about what how they're feeling what their interests are where their ideas are and, and making sure they're listened to that that for me is the first one you know we have i try to install a lot of autonomy um in my team so they can decide in their own way how they do things and, and what their approaches are as long as it's you know part of certain frameworks and certain guidelines mm. um you know in charge of their own time based on 
deadlines they know they've got to meet. You know, we're no longer nine to five and, and the work from home and, and flexible working has, has completely shifted that, that right? It, it's We know that people don't work best nine to five, lots of practices out there. So, you know, give them flexibility in, in meeting objectives that way. The other part is, is like I said, personal interest and personal projects. Uh, one of my, you know, consultants, he quite often, um, particularly sometimes uh, it's on his holidays and I don't want him to, but certainly <laughs> he, uh, they, they, they build, come back one day and say, oh, you know, I've built a report off of um, the price increase of my Tesco shop over the last six months because I've been keeping on my things. <laughs> You know, it, it, it sounds quite handy, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a there's an element around personal projects, and I think, uh, and it's a little bit different, I suppose, for for other business. But you know, internal external projects. So I often, when we're talking to the students, um, part of our nurture program, say to them, there is untold data out there. You know, there is online available, or you can create data yourself. You know, there's no shortage of data available in order for you to practice and learn and experience your skills mm, very good point yeah. so uh, i think that it's about giving the team time to do that mm. and that does mean carving out time from our schedules yeah mm. it, it's a very hard thing to do in that they especially in big demanding businesses and where you've got an enterprise with lots of you know backlog and stuff like this i think it's it's very hard to say do you know what we're going to take an hour you know three hours out of the day you know every friday or every wednesday whatever it may be we're going to take three hours a day and you can work on personal projects or other projects that are not part of the general portfolio during that time um it's hard to achieve and perhaps puts other things back on the back burner a little bit but i think sometimes mm -hmm. the the things they experience and the things that they try and test will mean that they actually end up doing stuff faster and quicker and easier and and, and solving problems sooner um, and more confidently in the future um and your way of and your way of um communicating with the team and i certainly like the piece around autonomy i think allows people to have that freedom um they feel engaged from it they feel trusted uh, which is a cultural thing i think which is very important i've, I've um uh, you know been pushing agile and scrum like like most people for, for a very long time I, I think it's very difficult to achieve um when you don't have a singular product that you are developing and, and moving on you know mm. tech tech software businesses you know product business pure product businesses you know the, like the apples of this world they have a team that are both focused on a product with a product owner and they drive through when in most modern businesses enterprises we have we end up with multi projects going on at one time and that team have to deal with those projects and, and the, the prioritization of them so you know i've been in stand-ups and and uh you know kickoff meetings and stuff like that they've lasted hours and mm. there's too many people on them and we're, co we're covering off lots of different topics and uh, i think that there's time there's places where we can make time efficiencies and i think that it's not to say that we don't follow up and we don't track and we don't communicate about what's being done, what's being blocked and where we are on, 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 on achievements. But I do think there is a element of autonomy around how we approach things and, and, and how we, we allow people to work in their own space. Um, and, and Scrum talks about this quite often, right? If, if you take your, your car to an experienced mechanic, they could probably do, you know, change the tire. Or if a Formula One team can change tires quicker than you can change a tire yourself, 
right it's mm -hmm. it's uh the one job the complexity of a job is not necessarily the same for the different individuals so you can't say this should take you a day and therefore i expect it to be done in a day and it may be that other influences that come into that they might get a, a you know you might get an m1 incident happen which you know takes off half the day and therefore it's not in that timeline so i think it's more about communicating and letting them inform you about how they can achieve the objective you set but you've, yeah. that means you've got to be clear on the objectives and clear on the, the the kind of timelines that you need objectives to be completed in over in a in a kind of a major way rather than a micro way mm -hmm. yeah that, that makes perfect sense um so moving on slightly from uh, you know you've got the team in place kind of getting a good feel of how you motivate your team and you retain uh, retain the team. Um, would you say that you're a champion of employee training and development? And if so, are there any tools that you could recommend or use which you found most effective? Yeah, look, I, you know, learning development training is is, is a key factor. I, I don't think anyone's going to deny that. I, I think that you know, if I look at my growth, like we spoke the way how I got here. It was self-learning. It was using online resources, YouTube videos, podcasts, you know, um, <laughs> Udemy courses, um, you know, the, the, those courses that seem forever on sale for, for you know, 10.99 or whatever it is every and it ends tonight. But it's got the same sale tomorrow. You know, those kind of <laughs> those kind of uh, uh, courses that are available. Yes, they're they're not as, you know, sometimes as hands on and sometimes as as. I suppose accredited they're not necessarily accredited right you to get accredited stuff you're paying lots of money out and i think mm. that sometimes people see that as a barrier and an entry to, to certain roles and not just in data and in other careers as well you don't necessarily like i said if we could bring it back to you don't necessarily have to have the certification mm. you need to start building your experiences uh you need to you need to know like the frustrations of when you bring in a data set and it's got dirty data someone's used the wrong format for dating for, for a date and it messes up your you know it messes up your results you need to know that when you're you know you're trying to trying to build a report and the the relationship isn't right and it's messing up your kind of visuals and your visuals aren't aren't linking correctly like you need to experience these things that happen in a day-to-day -day business environment so you can work out ways to how you can handle them and this where you go for support so that when it comes to it in a live critical project inside a business you're not kind of sat back scared to talk to anyone or or, or spending mm. days on end trying trying to resolve that issue so I, I think that that's why training development is important i think like i said those those non-accredited courses are a great starting point um i think accreditation does need to be brought in for you know standardization for for people to kind of understand uh, understand levels of, of, of competence mm. um, but that doesn't mean that your training development life cycle has to be purely around those certifications. So is it fair to say then that the um, that the training the personal training or personal development and some of those things that you mentioned like Udemy and um, you know online YouTube and all that sort of stuff would in effect be a if you were talking to the next generation of data talent would typically be one of the tips that you would give yeah, look, I, I would I would say, and I've, I've kind of if you freed uh, freed some of these uh, parts together, you find something you're personally interested in. Mm. Go find some data about that particular interest. 
build out some questions that that people might ask or you might be interested in on that data um use some of the free tools and free credits that are available out there on or you know use your own machine with 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 uh so it's not actually any cost involved in it and take some of those you know those youtubes and udemy courses and starting points to build your own personal por portfolio yeah 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 you know, that, it's, 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 that that's and 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 that's not just for entry people into this environment. Mm. You you you're always even at the you know you've been in the business for years that use a certain certain technology and certain thing right. As, as businesses, we even though we can be agile and we can adapt, we're not changing our technological landscape and our architecture every couple of months, right? And, and there's technologies that are coming out and there's there's advancements and changes that are coming out that you might not always get the chance to explore and experience inside your business, right? So put yourself in, in, in a different situation, put yourself in a different experience that will allow you to drive and, and push forward. Right. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the investment world and, and, and that kind of side, people say all the time, oh, you know, I don't really invest in stuff that I don't know about. I have to at least read, you know, get that get that baseline across other sectors, across multiple sectors to give me knowledge in knowing what to invest in. Yeah. yeah, it's the same in the data world. Why, you know, if you're in the finance industry doing data and stuff like that, why can't you do a personal project in the marketing industry and understand how marketing analytics applies, you know, in in that world? And what can you learn from that to then bring into your world, um, or to even advance in in different areas? Get get a better understanding of of lots of different things that are moving on. Um, I suppose in, if you think about you know strategies, where you it's, it's the T plan, right? So you've got your long-term ongoing progressive, but spikes that dip into mm. these certain other areas um, mm. and, and that they'll support and help the progression you make. Well, it, it, very interesting and really good advice there. Um, interesting, you, you mentioned different functions and also you've mentioned industry there. And as we know, within the data world, you know, data affects every single, um, every single type of industry anyway, um, globally. Um, what do you what do you think's the next big trend that we're expecting in our field of data yeah, analytics? I, there's a couple of different things going on that I, I think are are driving the future. Um, obviously, we've you know, ChatGPT at the moment is is flying. AI <laughs> is becoming massive. How do we get that in that that how do we get that into our businesses? For a lot of people, it is already there. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that that's that's a long, long-term trend at the moment. I, I think that's something that's, you know, going to be understood, implemented within the next couple of years. And so, uh, I think if you look at, if you look at things like, obviously you've got, you know, met the metaverse and and and, and augmented realities. Um, mm. I, I think how how we start to use information, data, and, and digital technologies to change our lives today is 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 a key factor if you look at things of the investments going into like smart cities iot yeah. you know they've been around for years but they're going to explode yeah. I, I think over the next few years and um, and that that creates a that creates a couple of problems um particularly from a data perspective right so firstly i think from a and we spoke about earlier esg perspective you're massively increasing the amount of data amount of processing the amount of analytics happening 
um, which is going to have massive impacts on our, on our you know our, our carbon footprints and on on our global economies and and stuff like that. So there's been a ongoing trend over the last few years around um, I suppose easiest way to explain it is edge analytics. Right. If you think of a smart car. A smart car is not sending all of the smart car data back and forth, up and down through the 5G network to the manufacturer or to whatever it is there, right? right? A lot of the processing of the analytics happens inside the car itself. Okay. The computer, right? There's obviously right. certain critical data it will send and share, but um, it's not going to do. It's not going to do all that. Again, coming back to the Formula One industry, like Formula One industry, Formula One. I can't remember the exact numbers, but they can only send something like um, something like six, uh, two gigabytes of data each time the car passes like the pit box, essentially, right? Or pit, right. the pit lane. They've got limits on the amount of data they can send between the car and through there. But in that, in that, those sensors that are you know, passing all the time and, and driving all the time, there's a lot of analytics that has to happen on the edge, has to happen inside the, the, the device, inside the equipment that we're using. Right. So I think if you think about the explosion of smart cities and IoT, you know, how many, how do we get some of this large processing data happening on tiny little devices um, and actually sustainably, efficiently, and what are the critical assets that need to be communicated across any particular network? Very so, interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, the, there's obviously lots of devices out there that have already kind of combated some of this stuff, mm. but how it impacts your business, our business, you know, mm. is, is, is the big question, and how do we do that in an ethically sustainable manner? <laughs> that's a very big question nick <laughs> maybe we could get our heads around it and try and work it out right um, so i'm assuming you're an f1 fan then <laughs> yes you've mentioned it a few times on the call yeah yeah who's, yeah. who's your uh, favorite driver i, I won't answer that quick no i'll just um it's a little, I, I am a, a mercedes fan um okay i'm a hamilton fan you're i think for me fan. but the reason why i'm a mercedes fan is that they always they've always tried to innovate you know, they don't get me wrong. All the teams do amazing work in developing, you know, incredible machines that mm. that I, I think we can only learn from and, and drive from. Um, but I think if you look through the the, the years, and particularly even when they were on top, um, you know, the year when they came with the the DAS system, they then you know they then came with the uh, um, I can't remember what they called it now, but the, you know the removable steering wheel to change the axis. You know, um, they've came with now with no side pods. You know. Yeah every single time they're they're pushing the business is pushing to innovate while maintaining and driving the objectives they want to do so that yeah. that talk i mentioned about having like you've got your you've got your objectives and you need to meet them and grow from them but where's that growth where's that where's that thing that might sh somehow shift your objective to somewhere else or or, mm. or move the objective a few inches to the left because it's used in the people inside your business and the collaborative power they have for their mind and experiences and diversity to think of something new to think of something different yeah? yeah and i think if you look at human progression over you know the centuries there's certain things where that that diversity coming together and that collaboration has pulled pulled together and said oh one minute that's a little bit different to us it's it's the same but different right it's the same but it's got one one minute difference that that, that actually then changes the world um so that for me is being obviously it's a very data heavy sport 
Um, so, you know, it's it for, for many, it can seem boring watching cars just go round and round and not much change happening in orders and stuff like that. But a lot of it is about strategy. A lot of it is actually about looking at the, the, the numbers on a minor scale and seeing minor differences of how they go and analysing, you know, degradation of tyres, these wind change, these this. So there's lots of data points that go into it. There's lots of strategy that goes into it. And then when you look at it from a business perspective, it's a very unique um, model that allows us to learn for our businesses of things we can adopt and approach. That's that's why I'm, I suppose, I've got a passion for it. Well, I can tell. Um, <laughs> so I might chat to you a bit more about F1 in, in the future. You did mention one big word there, Nick, actually, around um, diversity. Um, you know, it's a big, big topic, a challenging topic uh, in our industry, certainly from a skills perspective. F1 is very heavily male dominated, let's be honest. Um, what's, your, what's, what's your view on diversity within the team? Um, what does it mean to you having a diverse team so look i i think diversity is and and inclusion is you know has to be continue to be on the top of everyone's agenda you know i i it's something that we have to strive for as as as, you know human beings that it's you know a right and it's uh um it's it's important i think you know on, on that side so but what does that mean in terms of a team um i i when we spoke about ESG in one of our data leaders ex, uh, exec lounges, um, the term greenwashing came about of like basically companies um, marketing or in a way or doing certain tactics that make them seem greener than they actually are. Yes. Um, and I, I think sometimes there's a there's a risk that we can have, you know, I suppose equality, diversity washing. Um, yeah. I, I think that that diversity is the reason why it's so important is because it drives better, you know, better businesses, better performance mm. and, you know, better, better treatment of humans. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I think that you need to, not all diversities can be seen. It's not about, you know, having physically and, and visibly, you know, men women people from different cultures i think that's important in order to raise awareness and to drive change um but you know i think when we look at the 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 kind of gender movements recently if you're seeing a man and a woman in a team stuff like that that doesn't mean that there's it doesn't mean that there's definitely diversity there in a sense it could be you know then you may they may have people have had different experiences as well that creates diversity so diversity is not always visible i suppose is, is the point there um but diversity point. is important and you getting it and achieving it and the reason that be is being is because people have different experiences when they come from different environments and different backgrounds yeah and those thought processes that need to enhance and collaborate together to solve proper problems yeah, yeah. um yeah we can we see this in ai right and and in let's go back to the recruitment industry IT recruitment industry for years has been white male dominated, probably, you know, mid 30s or something like that. So if you try and build an AI model that uses all of the data from all of the different recruitment businesses across across, you know, an industry in, in the IT and across the UK, the chances are its prediction will tell you, oh, here you go. This white middle aged man is going to get the job. Right. Yeah. Because the data tells it that's who gets the job. Yeah. 
Now it's only like that because we've already input, input subconscious biases into the model because of the history we've, we've developed, right? So I think this is where you need to start thinking about those things and start thinking about, well, one minute, well, if that's going to be the case, we need to balance that out. We need to, we need to build a model that will not do that. Yes. And whether that be through, um, and you know, I'm not, uh, as much as I know about data science, I'm not enough to, to know about the intricacies of it. That's for, for people who you employ to, to kind of really drive, but at least ask the questions about it is, okay, how, you know, whether we do weighting or whether you do, you change the data set or whether you look at a different, different features that a data set to produce different results. It, that concept needs to go into that. Now, I think that's a very easy one for us to understand. I, I think there's other sectors and other areas where, the, the bias might not be as, as obvious. Mm. The bias might not be as as clear. And it actually takes someone to um someone to that's come from a different diverse background and from a different culture and from you know someone with diverse thinking to everyone else. Someone to, to moderate. Say, not necessarily moderate, but actually to point out and to question mm. what's going to happen with mm. this model, what the implications are. Um, yeah. and, and and sometimes that can come down to wording right yeah. well yeah we know yeah it does actually doesn't it and, and we have to be very very careful about how we how we advertise roles and positions out there in the market to make sure that we reach the right audience etc um, and everyone is you know on the same well it's a very very balanced set of communication um nick i found this really really insightful i like i've really enjoyed listening to you and, I, and i'm pretty sure um, that the listeners are gonna they're gonna get some value from this uh, from this podcast, which I'm really really pleased about. Now, I did want to ask you one thing though, actually, before before we part company on the call. But um, can you tell can you tell our listeners one thing um, that they would be surprised to learn about Mr. Nicholas Deveni? I, I don't know. If surprise is, is, is the right <laughs> word. Me, Put you on the it, spot. It be surprising and that. No, I no, I, I think it's not necessarily surprising, but interesting. Um, talking about that diversity piece, I'm very, you know, very passionate about learning experience in different cultures and and uh, different parts of the world and and seeing what we can gain from from that. Um, so I suppose one of one of my personal facts is I just just shy of, but I will be there. Not not being very accurate with the data here, but uh, essentially I've been to 20% of the countries in the world. Wow. So, yeah. So it's, that's amazing. Uh, um, I'm surprised you've yeah. done any work. <laughs> i'm probably older than i look yes but <laughs> but uh that's at least what i say but no yeah it's uh, again that you know for me just experiencing and seeing different cultures is a, is a passion um and therefore we you know my wife and i try to um try to travel somewhere new somewhere different um on a regular basis to to broaden our minds so yeah Good so yeah you. just a couple short of 20 percent I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I, 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 maybe on our next chat, you can tell me tell me all of the places that you've been. Um, uh, Nick, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today. Um, I think there'll be a lot of uh, value that the listeners will get, as I said. Um, thanks for your time and, and wishing you all the best. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll get some good feedback and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you to you. Thank you to the listeners. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Nick. Thank you.